0: Welcome to As Luck Would Have It. My name is Corbin, and thanks for joining us to kick off series six of the podcast. This series is titled Unlocking Luck Liturgy and seeks to demystify the elements of the worship service which we participate in as a community each Sunday at Leichart Uniting. We're a church based on Gadigal and Wangal Land in Sydney, Australia. You can find us at Leichhardt Uniting Church Luck on Facebook. All our sermons are on YouTube under the same name. And if you want to find out more information about our church and our team, head online to leichhardtuniting.org.au. In this episode of As Luck Would Have It, Reverend Adrian Sukumar White is unpacking the prayer of confession, drawing upon Psalm 32 and I'll be providing the reading ahead of the sermon. This is Psalm 32 from the New Revised Standard Version. Of David, Amaskil Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Thus ends the reading. Now here's the sermon from Adrian. Enjoy.
1: Today we, bring, we begin a four-week series that we're calling Unlocking Luck Liturgy. For those who are familiar with our liturgy, you'll know that we follow a set pattern of worship each week. Some words and responses will change with the church's liturgical seasons, and occasionally we'll throw out the whole thing and do something completely different, but most of the time you'll be able to see a consistent order to our worship. It's important to recognize that this is entirely intentional and there's a few good reasons for it first it creates a space where those who may be new to church can find their way into the regular patterns of worship and it helps them become more familiar with the community's practice the other primary reason though is that as a church we are one small part of the global body of christ And one way that we remain connected with the worldwide church is to share in the same or in similar patterns of worship. Most Catholic and Protestant churches would recognize the importance of a fourfold pattern of worship that has been part of the church's practice for hundreds, if not thousands of years. This is the pattern. First, we gather to worship God. We gather as the people of God. And in this part, we will share in a call to worship songs and various prayers including the prayer of confession which will be the main focus of this week's sermon the second part is hearing the word and this comes in the form of a scripture reading or readings and a sermon where we hear and explore a biblical story or stories and consider what it means for us as followers of Jesus today and Radica will have more to say on this next week specifically around the sermon response The third part is our responding to the word, which usually includes some form of financial offering, some prayers for others, and may include sharing in the Lord's Supper together. And the final part is the sending of the people of God, and this can include an affirmation of faith, which I will talk more about in week three, as well as a blessing and or a benediction. Of course there are more components of a worship service and more to our worship services but generally everything will fit into this fourfold pattern. It's also important to recognise that there are sometimes local customs that are not necessarily universal but still hugely important. For example at Luck and in many churches around Australia we will begin with an acknowledgement of country which Radica will explore in our fourth and final week of this series to coincide with a day of mourning for our First Nations people, which is an annual tradition, uh, the the Sunday before Australia Day or Invasion Day. Now the reason I wanted to give a bit of church liturgical history and practice to begin today is to both frame this four-week series as a whole, but also because this pattern provides some of the context to help us understand why something like a prayer of confession is important. But before we do talk about the prayer of confession some more, we need to take a step back and talk about the most favourite of church topics, sin. (laughs) That was just a little Easter egg from our Nativity musical for those who missed it. But at the risk risk of generalising, churches seem to fall into one of two categories. Either they don't want to talk about sin much, or that's all that they want to talk about. And when we might be more inclined to perhaps slide into the not-talking-about-it camp, this is in itself problematic. Because as Barbara Brown Taylor, the great theologian, reminds us, abandoning the language of sin will not make sin go away. Human beings will continue to experience alienation, defamation, damnation, and death no matter what we call them. Abandoning the language of sin will not make sin go away. Human beings will continue to experience alienation, defamation, damnation and death, no matter what we call them. But whether churches talk about it too much or not at all, they often have something in common. And that is a really shallow, simplistic concept of sin. I'm sure most of us have encountered it at one time or another. That is, sin simply being the bad things that you do. Which, of course, is incredibly narrow. It's not necessarily incorrect, but it is certainly incomplete. And this simplistic concept has had devastating consequences in particular through the doctrine of original sin, where because of the wrong thing that Eve did, that humanity has been punished ever since, and this has subsequently been used as a means to subjugate and oppress women for thousands of years. I call bollocks on that. Now, we shouldn't lose a sense of personal morality or accountability when we talk about sin, but we do also need to expand beyond it we can expand the idea of sin to being anything that turns us away from God. And of course that includes the bad stuff that we might do, but also includes the good stuff that we choose not to do. And it also takes the concept of sin from being a purely personal thing to a place where we can recognise the existence of systemic sin in the world. And not just to recognise it, but acknowledge our complicity in it. And for us to then do what we can to turn ourselves back toward God. And that is what confession and repentance are ultimately about. The word repent, one of those baggage filled words that you can imagine being shouted from a pulpit or random street corner, simply means to turn back or to return. To repent is to turn back to God. To reorientate ourselves back to God. And that's why the prayer of confession is placed where it is in our liturgy, because it is an invitation for us each and every week to reorient ourselves towards God as we prepare to hear God's word anew through scripture and through sermon. Of course, it's not without its own dangers. The theologian William Willman notes that the prayer of confession may be used as passive behaviour that keeps a person paralysed week after week in self-justified inactivity rather than therapeutically freeing that person for renewed action. The prayer of confession may be used as passive behaviour that keeps a person paralysed week after week in self-justified inactivity rather than therapeutically freeing the person for renewed action. That's definitely not what we're going for and why we need to constantly hold together the tension between sin and repentance and grace and forgiveness. But the prayer of confession is hopefully also a reminder that whilst there is something sacred and special about worship, ...should also never be fake. Are you familiar with the phrase, wearing your Sunday best? For those who are not, wearing your Sunday best... ...it is and was and is a tradition of wearing your best clothes to church on a Sunday. And whilst there are certainly some noble intentions within this tradition... ...in recognise the important place of church within our lives... I think it has also led to the assumption that we somehow need to be at our best at church. And because most of the time we're not in fact at our best, sometimes far from it, we're left with no choice but to fake it. We create this fake persona where everything is awesome. At its best, the prayer of confession is a defence against this kind of fakery because... It requires us to begin be, be, to bring the reality of our lives into worship, not just the pretty bits that we prefer that others only see. It invites us to humble ourselves, to make ourselves vulnerable before God and one another with an admission of the ways in which we have turned away from God so that we can be reoriented back toward God. This is something that our scripture reading for today offers us from Psalm 32, traditionally ascribed to King David, and it does not hold back. This is definitely not Sunday best material, but the real experience of someone aware of their own orientation is not currently toward God, but who wants to change that. It's also worth our noting that this, this is a psalm from the Old Testament, so by no means is a prayer of confession an exclusively Christian concept. It's not even exclusive to the Abrahamic religions, that is Christianity, Judaism and Islam. Most established religions have some sort of concept of confession and repentance built into them. And it's not always even a religious concept. In Samoan culture, for example, there is a practice called ifonga, which is a ceremony of apology, where the offending party will publicly sit under a woven mat in a public place until forgiveness is offered. This could be for hours, sometimes even days, that someone may sit in a posture of apology covered by their mat and the act of forgiveness is the wronged party physically removing the mat from the offending party. So there's a sense that sin, repentance, and confession are more universal than we might generally imagine. That's not to say, though, that Christianity doesn't have its own unique rituals and practices take confession within the Catholic tradition or the sacrament of penance as it's formerly known. You will likely know what this is, whether you have had a Catholic background or not. It's commonly portrayed in films and TV shows that I'm sure you would have seen. This is where a parishioner would come to the priest to confess their sins directly. Catholic praxis dictates that this is done at least once a year. For some including me, this is a pretty confronting idea and it's not without its own issues. It's From a historical perspective, problems arising from certain practices around confession and penance were one of the core influences that brought about the Protestant Reformation. This was primarily due to what is known as indulgences, a practice by which church-sanctioned forgiveness could be bought with money. There's also a potential problem of having a priest as the conduit between the congregation and God, that somehow an ordinary person is separated from God in a way that only a priest can bridge. These are some of the issues that have led to the Protestant practice of corporate confession, where through silence and or responsive prayers we offer our confession together within a service of worship. I do wonder though, if the Protestant shift hasn't meant that we have lost something important in our practice of confession. And that is something akin to accountability. When we bring our confession to God, it can be easy for us to stay superficial. Or perhaps it's a struggle, a struggle for us to think of something in the limited time that is often provided or even use that moment to plan what we're going to do for lunch after the service. That's a hypothetical idea, of course, not something I've done personally. And having a superficiality around the prayer of confession is a problem for us when we forget that confession is one important step to the more important concept of reconciliation. Reconciliation. We will have no hesitation about talking about reconciliation or the ultimate reconciliation from here. That is the reconciliation of all things to God as mentioned in in Colossians 1. It's another way for us to talk about the kingdom of God, the ultimate future that we hope for that God will bring to us. But what we forget is that the reconciliation of all things to God is the reconciliation of all things. That it is our own reconciliation to God. It is God's reconciliation with us and it is our reconciliation with each other. And confession is the first step of reconciliation. And another problem arises when we see it as the only step. That our act of confession is all that is necessary for reconciliation. Barbara Brown Taylor talks of how there are at least four steps. Confession, pardon, penance, and restoration to community. And I think it's the step of penance where we often drop the ball in a bunch of ways. For one, we rarely talk about it in Protestant circles. And as Barbara writes, penance is the acceptance of responsibility for repair. And it is one of the most healing things that a repentant sinner can do, as well as one of the most painful. Because penance is not just about making things right with God, but with one another. It can be easy for us to confess to God of how we have hurt someone close to us. But it is a whole other thing to make amends with that person ourselves. Perhaps that's why we need a weekly prayer of confession. Not only to remind ourselves that in God that we can find grace and forgiveness, but that we too have a part to play in that ultimate reconciliation. And that we have work to do in the restoration of the relationships that we ourselves have harmed. And it's why Our weekly prayer of confession always ends with a declaration of forgiveness. It is a moment of grace, a foretaste of the reconciliation that is to come, to liberate us for the work of restoration that lies ahead. Hear then Christ's word of grace to us. Your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Now let us live as forgiven people who want to see the world restored. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of As Luck Would Have It, proudly presented by Leichhardt Uniting Church. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe and feel free to leave a rating or review. And you can also visit our website and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Have a great day.